Hey everyone, and welcome to another Film Roundtable. My name is Maria Prieto, and I'm here to introduce our wonderful panelists today, as well as our guest moderator. But before we jump into their conversation, I'm going to lead us through a moment of silence to honor all reported worldwide 2,470,466 reported COVID deaths as of today. And we're recording this on February 22nd, 2021. We'd also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nations brothers and sisters whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence. Thanks guys. Thanks, um, these moments have really become a ritual in this film roundtable community. Um, we've held them since our first roundtable and you know, we just continue to hold them as a reminder that we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. And you know, we just have to lead a life of empathy and um, compassion towards one another and really just be safe during these times. So that being said, um, today we've invited Mexican photographer, Danya Franco Klein, her work has been exhibited widely, both in solo and group shows across Europe, the US and Mexico. And her latest exhibition, which I was fortunate enough to see three times, um, Proceed to the Root, was showcased a wide selection of her work, was presented by the Rose Gallery here in Los Angeles. Her work has been commissioned by clients like the New York Times, the New Yorker, New York Magazine, Vogue, and Dior. Danya, bienvenida a Roundtable. Gracias. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you. Thank and you for the beautiful introduction. Oh, anytime. Thank you for your beautiful art. <laughs> <laughs> and joining Tanya is art curator and writer William J. Simmons. Will received his BA in art history and LGBTQ studies at Harvard University. And last year, William curated the special projects section at the Felix Art Fair in Los Angeles entitled Cruel Optimism a show which highlighted themes of gender, queerness, and feminism. Will, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Hi, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, I wanna welcome our guest moderator today, Jimena Prieto. Jimena is an artist and filmmaker who shadowed under a range of artists, including Julie Tamer and Hannah Beekler. Jimena, thank you so much for taking the time to lead this today. It is an honor, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Himena is also my sister, but you know, that's, that's the I least, that's the lowest on the totem Maria is my sister. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave you guys to chat Aww. for a bit and I'll, I'll pop back yeah. in the end just to say goodbye and thank you. So Himena, the floor is yours. Thank you, Freddie. And thank you to Film Roundtable for having us. I'm very excited to hear about your individual work and also your most recent collaboration. That's sort of where I want to dive in. I've been looking at the images, which are stunning, and I'm curious how this came about, who approached who, and what it looked like to create something like this in different countries, and how it all came about. Well, you know, I think I'll um, I'll jump in with the with the logistical um, points because everything else was Tanya's doing. Like literally, every other thing was uh, Tanya's amazing um, doing. Um, the funny thing, you know, per, um, you know, this collision of art and film is that 
I know Tanya's work because her gallery shows the photographic work of Jessica Lange, like, you know, the actor. Um, and so there's an interesting film mm -hmm. connection to Tanya's work. And then, you know, I got into Tanya and I was like, oh my God, this is so um, fabulous and, and interesting. But um, I had been curating the scene, the scene series for King Kong magazine. Um, you know, in part of because of this quarantine, like what are we all doing kind of a thing. And I was thinking about artists that we could bring together and, and produce sort of um, unexpected um, collaborations. And the first one we did um, was Penny Slinger, the feminist filmmaker slash uh, photographer uh, with Carly Rae Jepsen. Um, who, who as you know, as our queer listeners will know, is now a queer icon. But those Absolutely. who don't know, you know, singer of Call Me Maybe now turned uh, queer icon. Um, but I, I guess the long and short of it, because um, I, I want to hear what Tanya has to say, because I want to hear all the, all the behind the scenes details, um, was that, you know, I, I loved Roma. Um, I loved... Yalitza's performance. I loved the, um, you know, her commitment to a politics. I loved her commitment to a, a politics of, of, of visibility. Um, and I'd always wanted to do something with her. And um, so I reached out to her people and I, was like, you know, I think that, I think, and maybe this is something we could talk about. Roma is such a film about interiority, um, mm -hmm. which Yalitza plays so well um, and, is, and is something that is so often denied to um, protagonists of color um, on screen. And, and I think that, that Tanya's work um, is so much about interiority, um, too. And so for me, it seemed like a natural pairing. But once again, uh, this having very little to do with me, Tanya already knew um, Yalitza's uh, producer who, who, who produced Roma. So once again, it was like, I had this idea, but it was already in the world anyway. And then more or less what happened was a few months later, Tanya delivered the most beautiful things you could ever imagine. And we didn't have to touch a thing. And I just got, I just got a picture from the, the magazine that they got, you know, a box of all of them today. So they're sending them out. And it was literally like, I didn't even have the idea because it already happened, but then, and then I didn't have to touch anything. They just came to me and they were perfect. And um, yeah. So that's my, that's my side of the story. Wow. Sounds like the okay. ideal process. And yeah, Tanya, how yeah. was it for you? Uh, you first of yeah. all, uh, since the moment I reached out, well, since he reached out to me and the first time we connected, I just felt like an immediate connection of me and Will. And I researched a little bit about him and I felt very, I don't know, it happens to me very often that I work with people that I feel like doesn't understand my work fully. But for some reason, I right away felt like Will understood me. I don't know why. I, maybe it's just like a hunch. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a natural, you know, like like a natural feeling that I got. And because of the essays and the people that he's been writing about and that it's a lot of artists, like most of them are my favorite artists. You know, like I feel like a very strong connection in our taste in general. 
And it happens to me very often that when I get commissions, because I love doing commissions, uh, I love to see what other people can think is a good pairing for me with a story or with a subject or with something that is really beyond what I usually do, you know, or beyond my limits, because it really makes me explore and it makes me, I don't know, like learn new things about my own work in the process. And this was the most unexpected commission. I rarely do commissions in Mexico. And this was the first time that I had a very Mexican per se, like Mexican representative subject. And it was a very exciting challenge for me because of many things. I think Yalitza represents, as you said, like a lot of things political, politically in film, like a lot of things that she's done and in the moments that she's done it. But also, at least in my industry, I felt like she was being misrepresented. So I felt like it was a very incredible opportunity because there's always this idea, like I feel like with a lot of subjects, because Mexico has a lot of racism and classism, with a lot of subjects, when people is gonna shoot them, they don't question their, like, their background, you know? Like they just right away put them on clothes, like designer clothes and this and that. But with Yalitza, there has been a lot of things around her appearance and who she's wearing. Why is the light too light? Is the light too dark? Is it, you know, like so many things have come into play in the way that she's been represented. And at the end, I felt like all of those things, like kind of putting her in a costume, you know, for, for like for being portrayed for these, mag for, for these different magazines, it all seemed like it was not making her justice. And Will also, because this collaboration is not just me, like Will was the mastermind behind all of these different uh, scenes that came out that I'm very excited to see all of them coming out because they're, they all look like truly incredible pairings. Thank you. But he also invited Celica, the, the founder of Sonamaco, and she did an interview with Yalitza a few months before we did the shoot. And we were all in the call, like we were all listening. I really wanted to hear what Yalitza had to say. And something that really, like, I had no idea what I was going to do. But when Will coordinated the call, I remember Jalisa was talking about how proud she was of her color skin. And that's something that really stuck on me because I was like, of course, like so many people have been taught to be ashamed of their color skin. And she proudly wears it, you know, like she's putting out, putting it out in the world. And it's something that makes her unique not because she's unique, but because she's had also the, like, obviously she's unique, but I mean, like, she's had the platform to do that, you know, proudly. So for me, it was a very unique opportunity to, to take that idea and just to make it about her, like, not, not make it about her being in a costume of something else. Like, my original idea was really to create a room that was all her, the color of her skin. Like I, when she said that, I was like, I need to do a set of the color of her skin. Everything has to be about her skin because that's her, you know? She has this incredible skin, this amazing presence. And I don't want her in a costume. I don't want her dressed up. I don't want it to be like Jalitza the Glamorous or Jalitza the Indigenous or Jalitza. I, I didn't want it, any labels on it. I just wanted Jalitza the amazing woman, the strong woman, you know? And I didn't want other labels to come up when people looked at the photos. So my original idea was to do it with no clothes, <laughs> but that was not, not possible. <laughs> so when, when we started to, to, when I started to brainstorm the, the work with the, with, with the producing company that manages her and what the restrictions were, I, I, I had the idea of doing like the second skin that would 
cover all of her skin, but that would become kind of like, um, for me, it's also like a metaphor, you know, like we're always wearing a second skin, but that second skin doesn't have a label of anything really, you know, for, for at least for me in this particular shoot. So it was incredible. Like I really wanted her to have this, like she has this incredible long hair. I felt, I felt like, I mean, at least for me, her personality came out, her strength as a woman, you know, like she's this incredibly powerful woman and beautiful. And I wanted to portray that without putting her into any label costume, anything, you know, like also in a timeless way. I like, I, I like working with age, ageless things, you know, I feel like her beauty is so timeless. So I wanted I wanted that to come out in the in the work because I want people to be able to look at this collaboration in 30 years and still look at the same thing and not look at the fashion or you know like these things that age with time and at, at the end she doesn't age you know I, I I hope that in 30 years this is gonna be even more powerful and more like of a statement of who she is and what she's been doing and yes <laughs> <that's it. laughs> wait you didn't are, yeah. are you allowed are you allowed to tell the carpet story the, car, the, the walls, yeah. Yes. The, yes. Yes. So it, it was actually very meaningful. I'm very meaningful shoot to me. Like, Will actually kind of rescued me in a very, I don't know, like complicated moment for me. I haven't been shooting, like, I, I've been nonstop working for the past six, at least six, seven years, like, literally nonstop. And suddenly, my, my closest, like, family member, who's my grandma, had a stroke, and my whole life changed. Like, it's, it fully stopped my life and it was in the when the the first two months of the pandemic I think we were all starting to get used to it and I didn't even know if I could take a flight you know like I uh, take you know like it was crazy so I came back to Mexico I completely changed my life like I was living as a nomad for seven years uh before that I was when I was coming to Mexico I was usually staying in my grandma's place and my grandma was literally my muse, my best friend, my everything. So many of my projects are done in her in her house. It's the closest to a home that I've always had because my parents were always changing homes. And so I never actually had one room. Like I've had like 12 rooms, you know, like I don't have that place to go back as my home in my memory. And my grandma's house was somehow that for me. And so it was very crazy because her, her apartment got damaged in the earthquake of 2017 and and they had to evacuate the building and since then my grandma was living with my parents but I would always try to come back a little bit to still do shoots you know it was like very very strange timing but when my grandma had a stroke they suddenly said like you know what we're actually gonna rebuild the building now so we're gonna tear it down like, not tear it down but all the ins like all the inside is coming out you know walls carpets everything so in my crazy obsessive mind I went and I removed all the wooden walls from my grandma's house and brought them to my studio and and I've been like doing nothing for those months I was just going to the hospital every day and it was like I couldn't think of anything and to be honest like this project really became something that I got like I don't know it was kind of like my emotional highlight for a long time and I think for there was a reason why I also delayed it because we had to delay the shoot because of pandemia COVID like so many so many other things and including the fact that I was going to the hospital every day and in that process I think like I usually shoot very very fast when I get commissions but this one was quite long we really had time to like 
go find everything like we we made the suits like we really took the time to do everything perfect and I at the end I I ended up like recreating my grandma's room in my studio which was my room so it was yeah so it was like truly it was like so many components came like in one place for that shoot like this the Mexican thing that I've never done before you know like this very Mexican collaboration and the fact that I got to do it in a very personal space for me so she's somehow in my world in my most intimate space my ultimate intimate space that I have that is my grandma's room that I somehow have here hidden in the studio (laughs) that's so magical if I could just jump in really quick and say that um you know I think you really uh sort of saved me in a creative space too mm-hmm. and just hearing that story again it's just like it 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 I don't know it was such an honor to be a part of this with you and I just wanted to say thank you again because you know um yeah it's just amazing to think about and and what emerged from it and uh yeah I'm very grateful to have to have witnessed oh. it thank you Leah. hearing thank you hearing guys talk about this project and how, you know, creatively and emotionally fulfilling it seems to have been, um, it leads me to wonder what other moment, or, you know, if you can even think of the first moment in your life that you created something that you felt had that effervescent excitement, where you felt like all the elements were coming together in a sort of personal way, but also that you were expressing something that was kind of bigger than yourself. Because Tanya, it seems like you brought a part of your, you know, your soul and your, your childhood and then you also created something with Yalitza which is beyond just your personal world so I'm curious for both of you what moment comes to mind do you want to go, go first, first Leo? okay I can <laughs> go first you go first I can go first okay. you go first let me think okay go I'll first. go first go so to be honest all my work is quite intimate and and actually I think the path to get there was was challenging because for a long time like when I started doing photo I w- I'm an architect by profession and then I decided to do my master's in photography. I've always been very interested in sociological theories and the psychology of our times. And when I say our times, I mean like, not just today, you know, like mm-hmm. postmodern times. And, and it always starts from how I feel and what I see around me really. So it's a very unique, intimate process for me. And I, I always actually make like jokes with my friends, like, Sometimes I wish I could just go to work and not think about my life, but my whole work is thinking about me and my life and everything around me, you know, like that's the work. So I cannot escape it. So in a way, I feel like that's why my characters are constantly trying to escape themselves. But, but it's very crazy because for a long time I was, I was struggling to do work at the beginning and I couldn't find like a path. And I feel like it was because I was not being honest with myself and who I am and what my interests are. And my own, my interests have always been that, you know, my interests have always been going to the inside, like we'll say. Mm. And I, and they have always been like had an intersection with philosophy and sociology and so many other things that I didn't study, but that I, I'm like very passionate reader of philosophy. All my family is full of philosophers and psychologists, and, you know, like psychologists, etc. So it's something that always comes up in my, in my upbringing. And it took me a while, like until I feel like life kind of forced me to do that because I enter into a complete anxiousness about the world like I was extremely anxious I was very lost like emotionally and it was by accident that I found the book 
by a philosopher that I love called Byung-Chul Han and it was called The Burnout Society and I found it like literally in a bookshelf in a bookshop in Madrid and I saw the title and I was like wow this is crazy and it pretty much described everything that I was seeing around me everything that I could see in the people I love like I could see a lot of stress anxiety depression like consumption of pills uncertainty for the future this measurement about how like how we measure ourselves about production always doing 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 you know like I am what I do and all these mindsets of success and what they leave, like, what are the traces that they leave in, like, behind? And I was those traces, you know, like, because at the end, we're all a reflection of our society. So for me, I was, I, that's when I realized, like, okay, so if I want to work with all of these things, I have to start from, like, mm -hmm. from what I feel or, mm -hmm. you know, or what I notice or what I see, because I am, a, I, I am a product of this society. Everything I think is not because I'm very individual, you know, like I have this individuality. It's because it's like a chip that we all have. Like we think we're different. We think we're special, but at the, at the same time, obviously there are general things happening in the world. And there's a reason for that because there's like a general machine, you know, growing in our, in our brains, telling us what to do, how we're supposed to do our lives. Like, yes, keep going. Yes, you can. Like all these slogans, publicity, images all the time. So I was, I was like just becoming very aware of my presence in the world and how I was being bombarded by these things and how they were part of me. But at the same time, I couldn't escape them. You know, like always my, my, my resume of all my readings is always like, oh, okay. This is what's happening, but how can I escape this? I can't, you know, unless I literally go and live into a jungle. So I guess it's this back and forward of trying to find a balance and this like emotional struggle and psychological struggle that we all have. So in a way, my work became very intimate because of that, because all, all my projects started to come up from that place, from, for those, from those places in my life. And sometimes I had plans to do other like projects. Like there's a project, for example, that I've been holding on for years mm. that it's like uh, about the text of Umberto Eco, like travels to hyper-reality because I was working with fun fairs and I was very fascinated by the, by this idea of hyper-reality and, you know, like what's actually real is Disney real or Los Angeles real is none of them is real, you know, like what, where, where does it stop? Mm. and but at but at the end I feel like life calls in and you go through things and you go through life and you're experiencing different things and you have to kind of like listen to whatever you're needing that in that moment you know like I feel like my projects have become very transformative for me because I've been honest with myself sometimes I struggle because I don't know what I'm doing but then there's a point where I'm like okay this is what I'm doing and this mm. is what I'm living and this is what I'm I'm fascinated by right now like of course I have this project that I want to do and this other project that I want to do but this is what I'm experiencing right now and I have to be honest and so I feel like when I finish a project in a way I always feel like it was a transformative process for me like sometimes it's very short project or just an experiment and it's just a few months and sometimes it's like years and I really can look back and look at myself before and after the project, you know, because it becomes a very therapeutic tool to look at life. I feel like I feel like in the process in the process of thinking and doing and redoing and experimenting and performing, you go through so many things like chemically, even in your brain that force you to go 
to do different things, to give different steps into your life and look at it from a different place. And right. yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, well, it, it's, it's curious because Tanya in, in answering you sort of touched on like the related question, which is what is uh, a work that sparked that for you, whether it's in your medium or not, or sparked that kind of okay, maybe it's not, you're, you're not on that path yet, but you realize something more true to yourself. So, so Will, well, does something come to mind for you, sort of juncture? Like well, you know, on your path? well, you know, I wanted to say, first of all, that that's a really great question. One, because I think that's so much of what film and photography do. And also um, one of the reasons why I love uh, Tanya's work so much is that you know it's the it's the collision of the of the individual with the archetype mm. or the or the universal, um, and it's also a great way to phrase the question because I think that you know something that really interests me um, that comes out of queer theory is sort of the propensity for you know uh, you know non cis straight white men um, to sort of uh, take pleasure in media that's not for them, mm -hmm. you know? So like, you know, uh, gay men of a certain era finding so much, um, you know, life affirming power in, in deeply heterosexual musicals, uh, you know, causing them to after the fact then become very queer or, um, you know any any number of things, um, but that's that's maybe a, a a different conversation. But to to answer your question, oh, and also, Tanya, I love what you said about you know the sort of uh, exhaustion of of your life being um, your art because it's both exhausting and a privilege in a certain sense. And then you know then the question becomes who has the privilege to divorce their life from their art and whatnot. And, um, but anyway, I think that that moment for me, you know, until, um, till maybe, till maybe a year ago, I, I sort of identified most forcefully as an art historian, film historian and a, and a curator. Um, I did my undergrad in art history and queer theory and then I had been, then I was in a PhD program in art history in New York. And then I was in a PhD program in art history in LA. And I finally uh, left in November to sort of, um, you know, among other things, write a novel. Um, but <clears throat> I think that when, you know, thinking about this really good question, you know, I, I was sort of, engaged in this historical and critical discourse as someone who was in graduate school, uh, which, you know, you don't even have to be in graduate school, you know, as someone who like reads up on art reviews and film reviews and what people are saying about, you know, film and representation and what have you. Um, and I remember quite distinctly sitting at a bench, getting stood up by a grinder date and then starting to write like a a story about an ex in my um, in my like notes app, which is so like cheesy and millennial. I'm like opening my notes app, but that's like the that was like the whole point, you know, because it was like it was the the notes app. It was like I was sitting in New York and I was sad and I was having feelings and I was just writing down 
uh, what I wanted to write was sort of no regard for, um, you know, no regard for a potential reader necessarily, um, mostly for me. And I guess, you know, maybe this could become a question for, for Tanya too, in terms of that oscillation between making work for yourself and making work for um, an audience. But I, I started doing that and then I made like a self-published um, chat book that I did um, with my friend of little essays about this ex. Uh, and I actually did send it to the ex. I have no idea if he read it or not. But um, <clears throat> anyway, it was just this moment of sort of considering another way of expressing yourself. And now that I sort of want to transition into sort of non-academic writing, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it was really, it was really formative. And I think that, you know, it gave me sort of a political mandate too, in the sense of like, you know, I've taught undergrads in, in various capacities for, uh, I guess, six, five or six years now. And now I realize um, that if I ever do that again, I think my goal would be to sort of empower them to really write whatever they want or to sort of, you know, open up the archetypal notes app as it were. Um, and for everyone to sort of feel empowered to tell stories that might be deemed um, uninteresting or, or, or sentimental. Um, and, I, and, and I'd say in conclusion, just because I, I feel like I should give credit where credit is due that, you know, no matter the controversy not no matter, but in addition to the controversy that came out of uh, Girls on HBO, you know, that was when I sort of started doing this. And I think part of that had to do with the sort of radical vulnerability of that show. And that's not to excuse the, you know, that's not to set aside the discourse around it, but it's just to say that I think in that moment, that kind of discourse around self-expression for women, for queer people, although of course it left out a number of people, but um, it, 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 was, it was inspiring to me in that hmm. regard. So. What you said about a piece of work kind of adopting a new life through unexpected audience and sort of the whole debate of where the author comes into play, the death of the author. I'm curious if you guys have ever had a response that's strong to something you wrote or Tanya, something you photographed that you feel is just so opposite of what you intended and you're kind of surprised by it mm -hmm. or that, you know, it's not opposite, but you see it in a new way and it takes a new life. I do like, I want to, you want to go first? No, I was just going to say, these are such good questions. I know, I love them. <laughs> you go while I, while I think on this very good question. <laughs> okay, so yeah, it actually happens to me quite a lot. And it used to happen to me at the beginning, mostly when I was starting to show my work. Hmm. Because my work has a very cinematic, visual style. But at the same time, I'm never creating narrative stories or like linear narrative stories. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking of a very psychological world. And I really think about it in a world kind of like existing at the same time. Like I don't never feel like there's a beginning and an end, you know, like so that always. Yeah, it's like everything is bombarding you at the same time. Of course, it has a reading, but there is no reading in terms of story. 
there's I, I really believe in first in the first guts that you have when you find you like you find yourself in front of something you know and that you like right away it, it, it enters your system or at least like so many artists that I love I feel like when I right away see it or like stand in front of it I feel like it enters into my blood system and like everything inside me and like I have like a sparks in my brain you know like you just have like something happening inside so I really believe in that in that gut feeling when you encounter something and you don't have to overthink it you just like it enters and like you can escape it somehow you know so at the beginning I remember like uh when I was participating in a few group shows like I they didn't used to give me the chance to curate the way that my work is displayed and I just felt like it was very misread in that process because then it became like they usually like the natural way of curating my work in a gallery would be like to put like four of the same size right after the other you know like in a very linear and for me it was completely breaking what was happening in the psychological state of my characters like it was kind of breaking the philosophy of my work in that process because my work I consider it like very emotionally explosive and even though it's very silent but it has like these very strong colors and these very strong emotions happening and I it was creating, it was making the work go into the story more than into the emotion. So for me, that was very, I don't know, frustrating because I would go into the shows and like people would talk to me and they would be like, okay, so what happened to this woman after this and that, you know? And I was like, no, no, it's, it's not going. Like, I realized there was something missing in the process. So that's why I really started to experiment. Like I realized I had to start working with installation too because that was something that was important to my work too you know like I studied architecture I know where things are supposed to go hang for example you know like the right size and the right eye view and stuff and I really wanted my work to disrupt all of that so like in my shows I never have one piece hanged at the same like length like height than the other they're never in the right position like they're always like a little bit higher or lower like even on the floor or very high because it's like I'm really always considering the fact that people is very numb like we're very numb to the world in general we're always looking and being bombarded by so many things so I really want people to get aware of the work when they enter you know so like the fact that it's not mounted in the in the similar way that you're supposed to look at things or in the height that you're supposed to look at things I think it changes the way you interact with it and you observe it in a different way so I feel like when I started finally experimenting with these and I started implementing the landscapes too, because I work a lot with landscapes for my, because I do, I do murals with the landscapes that overlap the works and give a different sense of claustrophobia, like an outdoor claustrophobia, not just an indoor one. And so that's when I started to feel like my, my work started getting more of the read that I wanted to have, you know, like, or at least the direction, because you can never control what people think or feel. But I feel like you can direct them into different venues. And I feel like when I started to change the way I presented my work, it really changed the way people read, read it or like the way, at least the way they experienced it. Because I feel like it, I, I, it was not about what's happening next to this woman. It's about why is she feeling like, why do I feel like her? Why do I feel like I understand her? Like I wanted them to connect with the emotions and not the story per se, because I never planned the stories like, oh, there's a woman, you know? And that's the same, it happened the same to me with the GIF, for example, I started working with GIFs and putting them in my exhibitions because it happened to me quite often that people will come to me and tell me, okay, so 
why don't you just do a short film? Like, I can see it already, you know? And I was like, yeah, like, it's not going that way because the psychology of my characters is like a talk CD that there's like a scratch CD that is like repeating over and over. Like, I always think of that moment that feels eternal for my characters in that in that second, you know? Like, these, these moments in life where you feel like you cannot escape yourself, that it feels like infinity, you know, that it's never gonna end, these claustrophobic moments of life that you're stuck in yourself. And so in a way, that's why I started to working with the gift language, because I wanted to set a time frame of what, how these moments are existing. So even though it's not like I have 2000 gifts, I put like one or two, sometimes I do them specifically for the installation, like for the, my exhibition at Rose, like I knew I wanted a very small uh, um, gift next to a very large uh, scene that I have of the toaster because I like people to have to be able to go back and forward between the works. And so I knew I needed something very small and I knew I wanted to be like something very simple. You know, like I, I think simple things communicate very easily and they're very universal. Like sometimes I feel like we overcomplicate things and sometimes we realize the simple things are what connects us as humans and that we all understand, you know? So I have this woman hyperventilating into this bag of like this paper bag, like, and then you understand, you know, I feel like it gives a different sense of time for the rest of the work. Like, even though it's not primarily like video around the, around the exhibition, it does changes the way people understand the rest of the work. So it's very funny because Leo by Leo, I have been adding Leo details here and there and changing the way that I present my work to be able to have a different reading of it. When I realize that people makes me the same question over and over, you know, like if seven people comes and says, you need to do a short film, I'm like, okay, I'm clearly not doing something right here. You know, like there's something that it's missing, you know, because that's not where, that's not where I want to lead them. You know, it's not that they cannot think that everyone is allowed to think whatever they want, but you want to lead them to, so like, I want to invite them to my universe and I mm. want them to feel my universe as eternal right. as I feel it, you know, in, in that moment. Yes. So but it's yeah, not necessarily that you want to, you don't want to guide them to a specific destination, but you want them kind of wandering in that limbo world that your images seem to exist yes. in, like mid-century intrigue limbo. That totally makes sense. And you, you talking about placement of, of works in conjunction with each other and, setting as well as something related to that and will i'm really curious as a curator where in the process is after selecting artists and and starting to put a show together where does placement of work come in for you and is this something that you take a, a large role in i think that's a great question and i think it's also good to uh just really uh quickly highlight that um you know, uh, people, I think it's important to highlight that people are always telling non-white male artists what to do. <laughs> so maybe that's like part of, you know, Tanya's yeah. experience that, you know, I I don't have to deal with um, because of my privilege. I mean, mm -hmm. it's interesting, you know, only just now like trying to sort of, uh, you know, setting out with a novel or people like, oh, well, you should blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I should, you know, because, <laughs> because I, you know, I think I've, you know, uh, we'll say, I guess, non-hegemonic artists, you know, whatever one wants to say, you know, I think uh, are always sort of forced to, to, uh, 
to, to listen to feedback mm. in a feedback, you know, in a different way than, um, you know, I would. And I think that's an important thing to highlight for people from, you know, art and, and certainly film, I, I surmise, you know, this idea of, yeah, of what Tanya should do. Tanya should do whatever she wants, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but to, to answer the question, yeah, I think placement is super uh, interesting, it, both in terms of, you know, work on a wall and in terms of, you know, the placement of what you choose to write about in sort of the, you know, span of your work um, and where you choose to place it. Um, it's interesting because uh, I just finished my, my first book, which is, um, going to be published next month. Um, and um, thanks. It's kind of a, um, it's a more art historical um, sort of set of, of essays. And, and of course, Tanya's um, photo, photo of Yalitza is in there. And it was interesting because, you know, that was a process of curating too. I, I think you are opposite Alex Prager but who's like sort of the quintessential LA artist in a certain way, but maybe not. I actually can't remember because the interesting thing, the great thing about Tanya's work is that it connects to someone like Alex Prager who is doing that sort of, or, or Cindy Sherman who's doing that cinematic um, sort of thing. But it also, you know, her work connects to someone like say Sarah Charlesworth. I don't know why I'm talking to you like you're not in the room. Tanya, your work also, you know, might connect to someone like um, Sarah Charlesworth, who worked a lot with pattern. Um, and of course, you know, our mutual um, love, uh, Laurie Simmons, who whose work has to do with scale and sort of moving in and out of the large and the small. Um, but yeah, I think that um, placement is definitely a... Um, it's definitely a political act. It definitely, um, and, and I think it also says a lot about you as, as a consumer of, of culture. You know, I think one thing that, that, that might be helpful to people listening to this is that, you know, people who understand themselves as curators or art historians or film historians you know, there, there is, or film curators or film programmers, you know, there is no objectivity there. You know, I included Tanya's work in my work because I love it. You know, I included other people uh, in there because I, because I love it, not because of some sort of transcendent um, notion of value. Um, or, you know, as you were saying, Tanya, some sort of linear progression um, in, a, in, a, in a filmic sense, like a beginning and an end. And I think that what nobody tells you, but that has been true throughout the history of art, you know, from what the 16th century onward, is that people write about the work of their friends and they don't write about the work of the people they don't like, unless it's an active attempt to like, you know, dra drag somebody, but you know, I, I write about people who I know and who I like and who, you know, if I had out of town, I know they would come water my plants, you know? Um, and of course, you know, I don't know every artist that I've, that I've written about or worked with, but I think it's just important to know because once you sort of, 
or important to think about because once you sort of remove that that notion of objectivity that is sort of drilled into us in various angles and you sort of just relent to the way that it is you know because yeah, it's an emotional tie when you're writing about art or dealing with art so yeah yeah absolutely and absolutely and in the case of in the case of Felix at the at the Hollywood Roosevelt you know one part of it was you know yeah this is just artists that I would like to see together mm. uh and artists that I like and artists who will deal because they're friends with me um, with the sort of challenging conditions that, that pose, uh, you know, but also per this question about curating generally, you know, there was a financial component about galleries um, partic participating in the fair and the fees associated with that, et cetera, et cetera. And so some part of it is out of your hands because any writing curatorial, whatever context, you know, there will be constraints. Uh, but also too, you know, it's a process of learning and empowering others to just present what they like. And I wish someone had done that for me sooner. And I see young people now sort of being able to do it, like students of mine who are like, you know, they, I feel like Gen Z just have very strong opinions about everything. Even, even mixed among the apathy, which I think is like really cool. Um, and it's just a matter of like empowering people to like what they like and then reckoning with the problematics that come out of liking what you like. And then that's, that's what you come out with. Yeah, and reading your writing, I love the you know, unexpected references that you, that you pull oh, and how you're, you. you take us one place and then you're in the next. Um, you mentioned the show uh, Felix, which which leads me to ask about um, duality and you know title cruel optimism. Of course, it's like two things happening at once. And Tanya, this is in your work as well. There's this superiority and so this voyeurism, and there is this intimacy that pulls you in, but also keeps you at a distance. We don't always get the whole picture. For both of you, I'm curious what. What are the dual kind of worlds that you're most drawn to or that you keep coming back to? Go, you go first, Leo. <laughs> yeah, it's my, it's, it's my turn to take on the, yes. the really, really good question. You know, I think, um, I think on one hand, you know, I, I do have this, uh, my sort of education, as it were, as a, as a queer person was a very academic one. You know, I sort of came to myself as a gay man through queer theory and not necessarily through um, queer experience. I mean, I read Simone de Beauvoir way before I sucked a dick, you know, and um, I think that, that that created an inherent duality because, you know, there is one part of me that in, in the sort of tradition of the think piece or the academic or critique generally that is, that is one part of me that is skeptical of everything. Um, and one part of me that um, really wants to believe and really wants to uh, be in love and really does want to sort of have these um, sort of incommensurate references that you so generously pointed to in terms of you know, I don't know, um, True Detective season two, which was terrible, but amazing to say, you know, um, Cindy Sherman, 
Lorna Simpson, Jeff Koons, whatever, you know. Um, and also, um, yeah, also a space that, that, that sort of takes being, um, well, I don't know. I think maybe queer and or feminist experiences is inherently sort of paradoxical in certain ways, you know. Um, and, and I try to get at that in my work because, you know, and maybe this is a cliche to say, but, you know, I am, I am thinking about David Lynch making cameos in the Cleveland show, you know, <laughs> while I am talking to you elevated intellectual individuals, you know, so and, and I'm sure you two are thinking about similar uh, things um, while we're talking too. And I feel like, you know, that, that comes out in the work inherently and and I think that Tanya's work does that so brilliantly too. Tanya, your work does that so brilliantly <laughs> too, because it is this combination of, as you suggested, you know, the, the sort of scratched CD, these sort of archetypes or, or things that we think we've seen before um, or, or roles that we may or may not um, fit into. Um, but then of course, there's always this element where you can sort of jump into it. I mean, you know, the fact that, you, that, that artifacts, that your personal family artifacts in a certain sense are, are in the photos of Yalitza, I don't think it's said anywhere in the zine. And so, no. you know, you and I know that and the people involved know that, but nobody else does. But nevertheless, I think uh, that in that work and in all your work, there is that sort of element that you can you can latch on to and sort of be like think about something in your own history that 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 resonates you know for me it's like um that carpet just reminds me of being uh it reminds me of hooking up with one particular guy who had similar carpet and had very low ceilings mm -hmm. and it was such an LA thing too because he took me to El Cid and mm -hmm. It was terrible, but just like, I was thinking about that, which has nothing to do with Yalitza. Um, but I think that your work has that, that quality, that, that punctum to quote, you know, Roland Barthes. Yeah. And um, that's why it's so amazing. I thank you. Yeah, I feel like the, this familiarity with the work that always lets you jump in, you know, it's, it's very nice and just, I don't know why, while well, you were talking, I'm sorry, I'm gonna divert completely from the question, but <laughs> what you were talking about the objects, etc. I was just thinking because I was talking with a friend the other day and she asked me why I feel so fascinated by telephones. Mm. And it was the first time that somebody ever asked me that, just thinking about the idea of the objects and the history. And my grandma always had two telephones sitting to each other, like next to each other, like she would sit there for like three straight, like she had a chair specifically for those telephones. Hmm. And she would sit there for hours and hours a day just to chat with her friends hmm. about everything we've done, everything she's doing, everything she's thinking. And in a way, I always felt very fascinated about the idea of like all these history, like not physical history that all these older telephones carry, you know, like how hmm. many breakups, how many love confessions, how many calling and hanging up how many you know like how many things they've seen but they it hasn't been present you know like this kind of unpresent thing 
that before the internet, because now everything is unpresent. But before that, it was kind of like the closest thing to that. And I always felt very fascinated about that for some reason. Like when I see telephones in like flea markets or or homes, that's the first thing that I think, you know, like I always think about it, you know, like, do you want to marry me? Like, or I don't know, I don't longer want to be with you or like (laughs) confessing something to someone, you know, like these things that make you feel so, I don't know, like comfort comforting like I, I guess the there's something of a comforting. Too. there's yeah. something yeah. very comforting about not having to see the other person and being able to say mm-hmm. something very strong so I always felt very fascinated by that but again that was a diversion <laughs> I don't know how I, we always saying you're probably thinking of something else and I was like yeah welcome but I don't remember the question was it like the place that I usually go back to if there's like a split and there's like two things that are in oppositions that you feel that you're contrast that you're that you're interested in yes I feel like I'm always fighting with myself (laughs) (laughs) no but really like because my work is very cinematic but at the same time I don't Mm. want it to have the narrative like I feel like I'm always like I'm Mm. always fighting the nature of the things that I'm doing like somehow like I have women but I don't want it to be about women only you know like (laughs) It's just because I'm a woman and I use myself, but it wasn't about that particularly, you know, like it's very funny, but it, it happens to me usually when people confront me about my work and I realize about the way other people read it. And I actually, for example, the first times that I showed my work, I never like when I talk about my work and I write about my work, I never write about the experience or the archetype of being a woman. Like I usually talk about societies and the psychology and like you know and I feel like a man could also relate to that or anyone could relate to that but it's very funny because I use myself and in the process I end up having all these feminine (laughs) archetypes in the process you know and like then I have this compilation of archetype women and it happens to me that people come in and they're like oh like this very feminine you know feminine where and it's like no 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 wait what Mm -hmm. like what you know like it has happened to me that these sort of things is like and I'm like okay but no my work is also a lot of still life and a lot of landscape and a lot of other many other things you know in the process and you're already now projecting the femininity into everything you know into the couches into the telephones into you know like but it's very interesting because I feel like I love yeah. doing these things and I do them naturally and instinctively and some I question them back and forward and sometimes I don't want to do them but I end up doing them somehow you know like these things that naturally come out and I'm always somehow finding the nature of so many of the things that I'm doing it's very funny like a part of me is always crunching when people are talking it's like it's like yeah it's about that just agree just agree you know like it's funny because it is and at the same time I just don't want it to be because I've always had this rejection for layers in general you know like I just feel like layers are very unproductive in terms of looking and experiencing the world in general. You know, like I feel like when you put a label into something, then you're just like taking so many elements out of it. I know we need them sometimes because it makes it easier to describe or easier to relate or easier to, you know, like to have a relationship with whatever it's that you're looking at. But I've always had a problem with labels because Mm. I feel like they have, they carry so much history, you know? So I guess I'm fighting against that too. <laughs> so like people tell me like, so you're like, a, you, you do like a tableau photography, you know, like constructed photography. So many people call it so many different ways. And it's like, yes, but I don't plan it. It's very performative, but it's, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm always fighting the nature of so many of the things that I do because I just feel like 
there's so many things that are in between things, you know, and mm -hmm. even though it's, it makes it easier for other people to have the labels on them, I feel like it also takes away your experience of maybe giving it, a, giving it another read, you know, like I feel like if I curate, like it happened to me a lot when I was doing my books, because I was doing different ways of uh, doing groupings of images. And that's where I, when I realized I had so many images that I could group so so differently that, that I could take away the woman of my book and nice. still have a full book you know and I was like okay here you can, don't know if it's a woman or a man because it's like short curly hair you know like there I, I have so many and like so many still lives and so many landscapes and I was like if I take all of this section then it changes the whole reading and then it's not about women and it, you know like I do question a lot of those things And I think it's interesting because you can give so many readings into, you know, like in depending on what you select to see and what you select, you know, it, it depends so much in the person. Like, I feel like life is like in the hands of the other in a way, you know, like these things are in the hands of the other. And if they had breakfast that day and if they're in a good mood, in a bad mood, if they are very stressed and anxious and they've been smoking a lot or not, you know, like so many things come into play for when you're going to watch or interact or read something, you know, like they change completely your reading. And it happens with film, it happens with books, you know, like when you're gonna go and sit into a film, it changes completely what happened in your day before, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to have like these conversations about all those different elements. And I'm always curious about why people has this tendency to right away label things or like right away say names, you know, like they look into an exhibition and they haven't even like walk into it and they're like oh this reminds me of this and that and this and these are you know like and it's it happens because I feel like it makes us feel sure about like it it gives us like uh the idea that we know things that we know the references like it happens to me like when I'm saying like people I'm talking about myself too here obviously in the process you know like I realize I do that a lot you know and I realize people do that a lot with me So it's, it's this back and forward of loving, hating that process, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that, I guess, you know, as someone <clears throat> who has to do that a lot, I had, I had the same thought that like this process of, you know, whenever I do a studio visit with somebody or whatnot, it would be sort of a process of comparison And it got me thinking about how the language of sort of art criticism or for that matter, film criticism, you know, really just is a, is a language of, of, of comparison. Um, you know, Tanya's work channels, Cindy Sherman or what have you, you know, and of course, you know, there's always in some sense, a, a formal or superficial truth to, to such comparisons maybe. But when you when you sit with the work, it's 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 different. Um, and and it, you know, I think the best art writing is done by, you know, people like, say, Amy Silman, who's a painter um, who also makes animations. But, you know, I think I guess I could say more generally artists, you know, because artists aren't so mired in that language of comparison. Um, or the sort of language of like, you know, reducing the work to the perceived identity of the, of the person who made it. Um, you know, 
I, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know. It makes me think, Tanya, that there's almost a, it, it's, it's a question of language too, of how we talk about work and how we're able to sort of explain it without falling into, well, this is important because it reminds me of Cindy Sherman, you know? It could like remind one of Cindy Sherman or whatnot, um, or it could remind one of David Lynch, you know, Lars von Trier, uh, what have you. But what's more interesting is sort of, yeah, and maybe this is why, you know, artists should be your friends is really sitting with the work and sort of finding out what their motivations are. Or, you know, if you can't have that conversation, figure out not that there is a comparison to David Lynch, say, uh, but rather what that comparison means um, to you, potentially the artist, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I love what you just said, Will. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also curious, um, you were touching a little bit on this, Tanya, but I'm curious how control plays into your work and spontaneity and whether you uh, have, I mean, you, you spoke about kind of like fighting against yourself in terms of content and how it will be perceived. And um, obviously at a certain point you, you let that go, let that fight go. And I'm, I just would love to hear a little bit about how that, that is for both of you. Okay, do you wanna start Will? Uh, sure, yeah, I think, um, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm over the moon that you noticed, Jimena, my sort of attempt to, I don't know, to sort of bring together a, a multiplicity of 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 references um you know in in my in my non-academic work i think it's very um intuitive which is such a like whatever word because it sort of conjures up like the male artist just doing whatever he wants and it comes to him and blah blah blah, blah um and like ejaculates all over the canvas and uh but what i i don't know i think it goes back to that, you know, I, I just I just wrote a short text on Felix Gonzalez Torres um, and something about something that I read reminded me of Donnie Darko. So then the essay sort of became about uh, Donnie Darko. Um, nice. And so I, I, I try to make my work be very intuitive because it gives a model of um, how one can sort of, yeah, bring those interests to the to the four, and I imagine, imagine Tanya might have an element of that too, in terms of, which isn't to say my work isn't, you know, deeply controlled in a certain way, because I am a very self-conscious person. But um, likewise, I think Tanya sort of does that too, because I know that there's a lot in the image that I can't understand what it means means, and I think that's super important because only Tanya knows what it means. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, it's very, uh, just going back to the, to the, to your writing, that's very true about the different, uh, it's the references that you put in. And I feel like you can, as a reader, you can feel it. I mean, I haven't read all of your essays, but I've read a few and I, and I had that feeling too. And Thank it made you. me connect in a very different way because it felt very honest. And like, I just feel like you have 
uh, obviously a very strong background. Like you obviously have uh, so much information in your head that you're studying and art criticism and history and history of art and this and that. But I feel like at the end, when you when you let your instinct instinct put all of these things together and kind of like make the connections alone it comes something very different and it comes very refreshing and you can Thank feel you. it when you read it, you know, like the references are there. And I feel like in a way, that's why I guess I always, I always think that we are, have to be very aware of what we see and what we read and everything that we consume because it's there in our subconscious. And especially do you, that you trust so much in your instinct and I work the same, like I work a lot with instincts and that's why I'm very self-conscious about the way I consume things, what I read, what I don't read, what I try not to look at so many things too often because it comes out, it comes out somehow, you know? And because I'm doing things instinctively, I'm trying to give my brain a space to connect dots that I'm not gonna connect if I really try to do it logically, you know? So in a way, like that's how I feel like, that's how instinct works. It works with all your references and somehow one day it wakes up and it's like, tin, 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 and something turns on and you're like, oh, of course it's this, you know? And the way that I work is the same. Like when I try to plan it so much, like, or if I try to do something like, if I almost know like where it's gonna be this and how the light is gonna come in here, you know, like, I just feel like it loses like something in the process. Like it lacks soul, like, it can work as an image and whatnot, but it just doesn't make it for me. Like, I feel like I'm constantly looking in my work, what I look for in other people's, like, like people that I love work, you know, like this thing that sparks you inside, this thing that connects you to an emotion, this thing that takes you to a place that, or to a place that you've never been or to a non-memory, you know, or something that you have in your wildest dreams or different things. And I feel like you cannot lie to yourself. Like, it doesn't mean that everyone is gonna feel that when they look at your work, but at least I cannot lie to myself. And sometimes I do a lot of work that I just throw to the trash because it just don't get to that point, you know? Like, I know I'm working from a very logical like place. Like, I know how it works and I'm almost doing it as a one, two, three thing. And then it's lacking something. So that's, that's why I try to be very performative with my work. Like, I try to set up a few elements Obviously with commissions, I'm a little bit more careful with that, but still I'm quite performative in the process. But with my personal work, like I literally sometimes have no clue what's gonna happen. And I love that, you know, like I just give my 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 brain and my body a few elements to play around and move around and play this and paint this wall and bring this carpet and take this and take out and put in and put out. Like, mm-hmm. and in that process, things happen. And I just trust in that, in that instinct that, because I have the underlining idea of what the project is about, but not what the images per se are, you know? I feel like that that's what I want to discover while I do it. Otherwise, I, w- I would just, like, do a drawing, you know? Like, I feel like that's what's very fantastic about photography. Like, photography has a very particular and unique quality that it has, like, real objects. But, you know, like, at the same time, this reality is completely constructed, like, every photography that we see it's not real like there's no such thing as reality or truth or you know like even in documentary photography it doesn't exist like there's no such thing as truthness and so in a way I feel like um I don't think my my if I wanted to think about it I don't think I would have the same uh possibilities to get to the same results as if I give my chance give myself the chance to actually experiment and find something better you know like 
I cannot explain what it is, but when you're doing it, you know it. You know, it's one of these things that you just know. Like Will said, like when you like something, you like something. When you don't, you don't like something. You know, it's just these things that are so natural to you and it happens with music and it happens with everything you know you just can't lie to yourself when something makes a click so I'm just always in the search for that and it's very frustrating sometimes when I don't find that you know like I'm so curious to find new things and to get to those places that spark something on me when I see when I look at the image and I can distance my distance myself from being the photographer or being the subject or being anything part of it I just really have that connection as a subject you know that's what I'm looking for like to really have that connection as a subject too because I feel like I mean at least for me like I would I would love to do the things that I enjoy you know the things that really like I, I like going back to my my archive and inspire myself with my own archive too you know not that I cannot look at other artists of course I wish I was as big and amazing and brilliant as some of the artists that I love you know you but are. no there's some that I'm <laughs> too far away but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I should, really it's a name oh, <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say really quick that um you know I think it's important to note and I don't know that I did when we first talked about the King Kong magazine project but I had literally no idea what the what Tanya was going to turn in like I think maybe I was like a bad art director <laughs> but I also was like I think the editors and I were both just like, whatever Tanya turns in, it'll be fabulous. And it was, you know, I, I had absolutely no clue what you were going to do. And um, <laughs> so obviously, you know, uh, there was that intuitive sense of, of that particular um, collaboration too, that was like so intuitive that I, I literally had no idea what it was going to look like and we were going <laughs> to, but we were going to run it, you know, no matter what it looks like. So it was kind of like a moot point to ask you. <laughs> no, but it's true. I feel like that's a very good, I mean, I, I cannot speak for everyone, but at least for me, like the commissions that I've done that never asked me for anything, you know, like that they're not like, but what exactly is going to happen is like, I have no mm -hmm. clue. Like literally sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to say. Like, I have no answer for you. I don't know what's going to happen, you know? <laughs> And sometimes I do notice that when I have more restrictions or like people really wants to know more and more and more, I feel like the result is a little bit more constrained than when that doesn't happen in the process. It's very crazy. I don't know if it's a psychological thing for me or something, but in the process of actually knowing that I didn't give myself restrictions, I feel like it, it just opens so many other doors, you know, and then I can actually experiment as long as I have a date that I have to deliver them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's well, almost... you know, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that I think that's such a important thing, both in art and film is, is, is having as many, and in writing, is having, uh, is empowering people to, to sort of feel like they deserve to have those limitless situations, you know, and that they've, it's not a matter of like putting in the work, you know, which is such a like Protestant way of thinking about it. But it's just like, I don't know, people having an innate belief that they that they deserve to create without those constraints. Now, obviously, you know, if you're doing something for the cover of Vogue Mexico, for instance, you know, there's going to necessarily be certain constraints that just by nature of the circulation of that magazine or the number of people involved, blah, blah, blah. With our situation, it was you, me, my two editors, 
and Yalitza's team and, and your team. And, it, you know, it wasn't, you know, uh, in terms of decision-making, it was just a few people. Um, but I don't know, just to say there's something really political in hearing artists like Tanya um, who do work on commission sometimes. And, you know, I work on commission sometimes too, to sort of think about how we can create a space where everyone now you're not always going to be in a space where you can do whatever you want, but sort of believing that you deserve to do whatever you want is yeah. really important. And yeah. I guess trusting it, it also goes back to like trusting the person. Like I feel like anyone who yeah. reads so many of your writings and your essays and your like, and your collaborations with artists for their exhibitions and their books, like, because you've write you've written so many of them. And I feel like, anyone can give themselves an idea of what you do, you know, like they know you are going to deliver something brilliant. They don't know Thank what, you, you know? <laughs> so I feel like in the process of like, of, of course, I know it's hard to trust people because it all relies on trust, really, like yeah. on trusting this process because at the end, I feel like creative process are not like doing a recipe for like agua de horchata, you know? It's mm -hmm. like, you want something special, then you have to trust the process that that person makes. And you're already seeing that this person can do all of this. But if you create yeah. the, the, a, a certain environment, you're gonna allow for that to happen. If, yeah. you're, if you don't, then maybe it's not gonna happen. I guess it depends on the person, I don't know. But at least for me, it does work like that. You know, I feel like it, it does give me a, like, knowing that someone is trusting me and not asking me for, for something, you know, it gives me like their trust, you know, it gives me something like they're trusting me and they're excited to discover this same as I am, because I also don't know what's going to happen. So we're all here excited to discover something, you know, so it's kind of like we're on the same boat of discovering something and it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to think that that's sort of like energy of of that, you know, the possibility and the, you know, possibly the diversions that you go through and the places that, you know, the work doesn't end up going there, but that all of that energy is a part of the final, final image as well, or the final piece of writing and it is yeah. it, it's like part of the Everything. aura of it, you know, as opposed to if you just went with like, okay, um, move this three centimeters that way, this is how it has to be. Um, where is the soul of that, you know, obviously like it still will capture the aesthetics and the feeling, but um, yeah. I do think yeah. that, the, that performance is captured in some way and like the light, yeah, yeah. Um, everything. Absolutely, yeah. So I have a few um, kind of like quick fire <laughs> questions that I wanna ask you guys to wrap up. Let me see. Um, first, uh, this is kind of like something that I, that came up and I wanted to ask as we were talking, but what is, uh, you know, uh, unexpected or potentially uh, unpopular film world or art world opinion that you hold? <laughs> I know why that came up. It's your turn. It's your turn, Tanya. You go first. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. Something that somebody said that uh, it's not very keen, likely for me. <laughs> um about my work or in or general? no just like in general what is some opinion that you hold that might not be the most um popular or it might be a little controversial oh yeah, yeah. it can be about your own work or <laughs> or other work no, i really need to think about this 
But yeah, I feel how like long do you have? Somewhere negative with that, but it can totally be I don't know, but I really cannot say it here. Like, it's really bad. <laughs> like, it's something no, okay, I, hear you, yeah. I actually cannot say it. Uh-huh. There, I, I'm, not, I'm just going to try and generalize it, okay? Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to just to be a little bit politically correct. Mm-hmm. It happens to me quite often in, in at least in the photography industry, in the art industry, that I feel like, obviously, I... I love inclusion. I love diversity. I love uh, different things. You know, I feel like we live in, a, in such a big world that so many things should come out, like so many different voices, so many different works. But sometimes it has happened to me that I noticed that there's like this fetish for a certain type of artist that is really not about the art, but about the artist, just because of what they represent in certain, let's say like, oh, I don't know, like we have this black art, you know, like when they make it about the artist mm-hmm. and like they describe it, it mm-hmm. bothers me a little bit because I feel like it undermines the work, you know, like I feel like you should be able to look at work. Of course, the context sometimes is important and it enriches your experience. I understand that. But sometimes it, ha- it has happened to me with a few magazines that I like that I notice that they're starting to emphasize one thing so many times, too many times that I can almost like make bets with friends. Like they're about to curate this show. Wanna bet that all the artists are gonna be blah, 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 blah. Literally we make bets and it happens. And then I just don't like that. Not because I don't believe there should be inclusion or there should, you know, like I believe in all of that. I just don't like it when it becomes like a fetish that you almost right, are like a tokenizing. Yeah. 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 Like I don't like when that like institution patting, like, patting itself on the back. Yeah. And or they're almost like using the background of the photographers to like click on, you know, on their lists or, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't like to feel like that's happening. I think it's important when there's diversity, but when you're, when there's a pattern that is repeating over and over and over into a point when you're like, okay, you're supposed to be a, like a multi-diverse like, magazine or a multi-diverse publication. Why is this happening? You know, like why I can almost like literally describe you what your next book's going to be or where your next, you know? So that's what, something I really don't like. I don't, I feel like I cannot talk about it like in deepness to be more obvious because obviously it's burning bridges and stuff and because it's not like the best conversation but I don't like when that happens you know because it becomes almost like a fetish and I feel like that's insultive I feel like that's insultive mm-hmm. to the photographer and to their work too you know like I don't right, know like I sort don't. of like all the awards are specifically for female filmmakers when it's like yeah. well why why is there no men's yeah. filmmaker award exactly yeah see stuff like that and I know friends in different fields that are not art or like in film that sometimes tell me like oh, I know they're just hiring me because I'm a woman, you know, like, because they need to click the woman thing and I'm a woman. And and that also doesn't feel great because like they know, like, for example, like, I don't know, I have several friends that have that have come with that like situation in different uh, fields and that they know like, oh, I barely done anything and they hired me instead of this guy because I'm a woman, you know, like, and you also don't feel great about your work when that happens because you mm-hmm. want to have your work there because of your work, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you you don't want to feel like they're giving you a handicap, like card, you know, like in a way, sometimes it, it turns into that. Like it can be like, it's it's very delicate. I think it's a very thin line where when yeah. it's inclusiveness and when you're giving that handicap line, like they go card to someone, you know, like, I don't know. I've seen it in a, in a different field happening and I, I feel like, 
it should always be about the work. I know there's different opportunities. I know that males have had more opportunities than women in a lot of fields. And I think we have to create the environment to give those people more opportunities, you know, like, of course, that's important. But when you're using it just to say it, you know, like, and people can notice, for me, it's kind of tacky, you know, and it's disrespectful for the work. Well, and I, and I think that that sort of exposes the fact that a lot of um, the art magazines, and I'm sure film magazines, I don't, I don't know as well, but, you know, are all market driven, you know, it's like, who are the next hot artists to speculate on next, which is, of course, you know, great for the artists involved in a certain sense, yeah. if their artist achieve, if their career achieves a certain longevity, if they are being used in a tokenized fashion, it probably won't. But um, it's, yeah, it also reflects sort of a, a market tokenization of art by um, quote unquote marginalized artists too. And, and the art magazines are always sort of, you know, an extension um, of that. Uh, I, you know, one of my, one of my um, controversial opinions would be that most of the art magazines are garbage. Mm. Like Art Forum is largely, the reviews are like ripped off from press releases written by underpaid women. Um, so that's one thing and Art in America and, you know, <laughs> I'd say that. Um, and I don't know, I was trying to think of a, I feel like having controversial film opinions is such a like boy thing. Like, <laughs> like, oh, you should really like Woody Allen because blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't know. I, um, I do have a lot of uh, controversial opinions. I don't know how many of them are that interesting. I, um, like, I love Lena Dunham's Girls. I think it was so important, um, not, you know, I, nor would I say to anyone that their critiques were wrong. Um, and I only got halfway through Little Women. Oh. You know, yeah. I, I haven't you know, I would never speak in ill will, uh, a word of ill will against Miss Greta. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't, because uh, I think she's amazing, but I got halfway through it and I was really bored. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very particular um, energy and uh, pacing, you know, me, yeah. I, I like am very drawn to uh, melodrama. So even mm -hmm. though it had a lot of drama, I I, um, I like things that are like over the top. <laughs> so yeah. I really to not necessarily just like, yeah. Like for example, totally. one of mine is, um, I don't know if either of you saw Phantom of the Opera, the movie, but that's like- No, a, it sounds great. I like truly <laughs> enjoy, even though it wasn't necessarily yeah. well-received. Joel Shoemaker's Phantom of the Opera. Um, oh, it reminds me, it reminds me one of my favorite movies of all time is the adaptation of Nine by the guy- Oh my God, Chicago. yeah. It's so good, but it like it's- just... Yeah, objectively, I, I Little Women totally is better. <laughs> yeah, just like I love um, indulgence and like yeah. overindulgence in film. For, for not always, but for some reason, I Phantom of the Opera one it just works for me. But um, yeah. okay, this is a little bit of a a different course. But um, I'm curious, what is your favorite 1 a.m. snack? Totally different question. <laughs> I McDonald's. McDonald's. Okay. All right. Uber eats McDonald's. Burger. Um, yeah, like a Big Mac meal with a Diet Coke. Okay. It's like, <laughs> no, you know. 
How specific? You know what? Actually, no. It's because I did it last night. Yeah, I feel like everyone <laughs> knows the real answer. Right. <laughs> yes, I have chocolates all over my house in case I want to mm. wake up sleeping and eat chocolates. But I can literally like eat a whole like Kit Kat. You know, like I wake up in the morning and I find these traces of like empty <laughs> chocolate snacks, and I'm like, what did I? Oh, I have chocolate time? for breakfast all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I have in like random pockets, like chocolate bars. <laughs> like, okay. okay. Um. Yeah, for sure. Next question, what is the most kind of visceral reaction, positive or negative, that you've had in a movie theater to a film that you can remember? Lars von Trier's Melancholia. Mm. Another boy answer. No, but like totally, <laughs> totally makes sense. I'd say yeah. Antichrist, like really no, visceral, but Melancholia, wow, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. I think the, the movie of the, I think it's called The Hunt, a Danish movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. It's been, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I still uh, like that film really. Like, so uncomfortable. I can still, yeah, I can still think about it and be like, oh my God. Like, oh. did you did you see another round? Yeah, that, that mm -hmm. Yes, I love it. Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. I truly enjoyed it. Yes, yes, yes. I really hope that it. dance sequence. <laughs> I want to, I'm going to send you something that I read about that. Nice. The choreography yes, that for that dance. Amazing. Sequence. You have so, it? Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you in the, in the aftermath. But yeah, I, I, love I love that film. Um, all right. And finally, I am curious, what is a piece of work in any medium that you've discovered in the last year that you feel that hasn't gotten um, its proper due or maybe just it hasn't reached as many people as you think it should have uh, and you'd like to point, point yeah, we're both like arrow to? Hmm. I feel like there's a lot. Yeah, I feel like, like or maybe yeah, yeah obviously there's a, there's a lot I need to think about the, this it's a good yeah it's a good question it's like which you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna I think the one that jumps to my mind is art pop by Lady Gaga which we all slept on in yeah, like that's so true whatever year that yeah. was and I, and I no listened to it that. oh my god it's her it's her third album Lady yeah. Gaga's third ah. album and do you think that had to do with like a fatigue of sorts because she was so big for so long that people yes. just want to? And I think the collaboration with Jeff Koons was really mm -hmm. grating. You know, another controversial opinion. I think he's great. Whatever. I came around to thinking Jeff Koons is great, but because yes. um, <laughs> he's just like that's the controversial opinion that, <laughs> that he's great. It's like yeah, I yeah. There was something. It was that element. It was yeah. yeah. I think you were right. Everyone was maybe sick of her. And it was a really weird it only happen with female thinkers for some reason. <laughs> good point, good point, yeah. Um, yeah, and a lot of the songs are bad. So I think that's <laughs> part of it too, but that's they're great. That's actually not exciting me to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what do you think it merits uh, a kind of like re rediscovery? Well, you know, I'll, I'll link all of you um, so she made like a, a music video of three of the songs um, <laughs> and the real housewives of New York are in it for like 10 seconds oh. and they're, they're, they're playing tambourines and I watched that and I was like, oh my God, that's so brilliant. Yeah, you know, I like that. it, I think it only made sense in retrospect. And also it came out when I was like 19 and so maybe I didn't get it then, but now I'm super nostalgic for it um, in retrospect. Cause we definitely slept on Joanne. Well, some, I don't know. 
I slept on Joanne and maybe it'll come around in like three or four years, but yeah, Art Pop is great. And, and R. Kelly was on it, which is also not great. But then she re-recorded it with Christina Aguilera. So, you know, it was a, it was a fraught album. Yeah, there's many uh, factors coming into play. Tanya is not excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm really not excited. <laughs> Our, <laughs> like you said that it's underestimated, but at the same time, you said so many elements that make me not want to ever listen or watch anything around this. I'll, I think the music video will change your mind. It's genius. Okay. Did she oh. collaborate with an artist okay. or director to create the music video? I don't think so. It's just, Who's... I don't think so. Well, no, because I don't think any of the Jeff Koons things mm. are in it. I think it was all it was all her, and it's like really, um, yeah, it's really brilliant. Um, yeah. All right, so everyone, check out Art Pop. Art Pop. Twenty. Or don't. Because <laughs> Tanya, Tanya. I'm ex- check no, it I'm out. excited. This video sounds like a fever dream, which is oh, you know, it's so good. Sick. It's really good. Oh, it's fun. What about you, Tanya? Something in I don't know. Year. I really need to think. You always have great book it. recommendations. Like, oh yeah, that this is true. Is something I know. I, I'll have to think. Uh, let me think. What am I reading right now? I've been. Re- I've actually been reading a lot of very educational stuff around communication and the language. So mm. actually, it's kind of oh. boring. But this is my latest book. Ah, uh, wait. I'm actually. I actually discovered James Riddle's book lately. Do you know James Riddle? No. No. He's an like a like a technology like he oh he's an artist, mm-hmm. but uh, oh he also writes a lot of like incredible books. It's all around like political. It's political but internet art. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So he has this book called The New Dark Age. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to read it. That's what I've been indulging lately. I don't know. I think it's kind of mainstream, so I don't think it's like undervalued. But <laughs> I I I'm kind of liking it. Yeah. All right. James Riddle. Uh, yes, I'll send it to you. All right, cool. it's very good, very very good. Uh, uh, thank you guys. Yeah, oh, no, thank you guys. Fun. I loved hearing all your wonderful and varied stories and opinions. Um, I love listening to Will. Honestly, <laughs> I wish I could go on forever. And thank I love like listening to the questions. two of you. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah, English is a little to... bit like not in the best place right now, as you can see. I haven't been. No, your English is, is perfect. I mean, perfect. I, yeah, I relate to when I start speaking like one language a lot. I I tend to just have to reorient myself with with English or Spanish. Yeah. Well, thank you to Film Roundtable for hosting oh, this discussion. You. Let me see if Mar is gonna come back. In. Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, there yeah, she is. Yeah, I conjured you up. Yeah, you conjured me. No, I just, I want to thank all three of you. This has been fascinating to listen in on. It has been funny. It's been deep. It's just, it's been a good chat. Thank um, you. And I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank my partners, Aaron Wilde, Doug Torres, Matthew Wolf, Bradford Young. And where, where can everyone check out this zine, Will? Oh yeah, um, kingkongmagazine.com. Perfect. Um, it's on there right now, uh, that one and the one with uh, queer icon Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> queer icon Tanya Franco-Klein and queer icon <laughs> Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> Perfect. Everyone please oh. go check it out. Check out Tanya's work. It's truly visceral and beautiful. And 
Thank you. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you this so was an much. incredible conversation. Him, you did an amazing job. Truly. Thank you. Such oh, a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. We'll, you guys are brilliant. Oh, thanks.